Thank you, Jesus. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I think that I can say that if you need a miracle, you're in the right place. Um, I've never read anywhere in the Gospels that Jesus showed up and nothing happened. So he's here right now. You may not be hanging on the precipice by your fingernails. Maybe life is good for you right now. It's not good for everybody in this room. There's somebody here, some bodies that really needs God to undertake for you. You need God to break through and perform something in your family, in your life. And uh, that's what he specializes in. That's what he's best at. Amen. Especially when you trust in him. See, there's a lot of alternative answers to our needs. But when you put your faith in Jesus and trust in him, sometimes I think the enemy provides some uh, alternative answers and we stop there thinking, well, this is from God, but it's not. God wants to do great things in your life. I believe God wants his people to be in awe. In awe. And that's why we're given praise and worship. See, praise is praising God for what he's done, but worship is worshiping him for who he is. So we're covered either way. Amen. Because our God is great and he is awesome. And he wants to do something tremendous in your life. Lest I forget, there is no Thursday night service this week because there's a Friday night service called Watch Night Service, 730 here where we will be worshiping out the old year. Some of us are not that sad to see 2021 go. Uh, and that's because we have exciting things to look forward to in 2022. Amen. So Friday night, be here. We'll be taking communion and uh, worshiping the Lord with all of our heart. I'd like our ushers to come. We greet our guests and visitors. If you're a visitor, a guest. We love you, we welcome you, and we wish God's very best for you. There are people traveling, people just getting back from travels. They're weary in body. Sometimes being with the family is not the best rest of all. Times you got to come home from the vacation and have a vacation. So we want to pray for all those traveling and and uh, those that are out sick. Little Emma uh, was sick this morning, so we couldn't dedicate her. But 
Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll be able to give her her little blanket and pray God's blessing upon, upon her. If you have a request in your own life or the need of someone else, if you just lift your hand that the Lord can see it. And let's pray together. Jesus, you are so mighty in power. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. We do not stand here today anxious, wringing our hands, or worrying about anything because we know that everything is going to be all right. We ask that those that have been traveling and are traveling, that you will keep them, supply rest for their weary bodies. We pray for those that are sick, that you'll touch them, touch little Emma. You will heal the sick, touch little Gavin today. Lord, bless what we are giving to you. May it be acceptable in your sight. May we give it with a right and generous spirit. And everyone said amen in Jesus' name. God bless you as you give. bringing a special gift for y'all today and my gift to you this Christmas would have been reading my text and then giving an altar call. <laughs> I know it would make some of you uh, exhilaratingly happy because you're probably starved right now. Because when you overeat on one day, the next day, you notice how you get hungry really quick? Yeah. Actually, I woke up in the middle of the night hungry. Never do that. <laughs> but uh, direct your attention to Joshua chapter 2. When you consider the billions and billions of people who have lived 
during the first 4,000 years of man's history. For a person that's lived during that period of time to have their name mentioned anywhere within the Old Testament scriptures would be an incredible thing. But then to have your story told is even beyond incredible. But how do you describe it then when that person is also mentioned in the New Testament? You see, out of the tens of thousands of stories that could have been included in the Bible, you understand that everyone is important. Everyone is God saying, look at this. Study this, absorb this, inhale this. It's important for us. The individual that we're going to talk about uh, here this morning is a woman that fits all of these categories. And her name is Rahab. So it's written in the 18th verse, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by, thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house his blood be on our head, shall be on our head, if any hand be upon them. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, that is Rahab, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Do you know that when Israel came out of Egypt, the night of Passover when they left their homes, this is reminiscent of that, it really is, because they came out, but they had to stay in their home until they were given the word to leave hastily. When they came out of Egypt, Moses led them to Mount Sinai where God gave them the law. Laws and commandments and statutes whereby they were to live their lives. Our Egypt is coming out of the world and it takes place, if you please, in the book of Acts. After the book of Acts, for those that have come out of their sin, out of their Egypt, that's when the, ep the epistles were given unto them. The laws of God, the principles of God. New Testament mandates by which they were to live. So I'm, I just want to tell you before we go into the message today, because this is not relevant to the message at all, that if you've repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, it does not stop there. Now God expects you to live by the things that are written in the epistles the letters that came from the apostles. It's important. 
And where do you learn those things? At the house of God. At the house of God. Lord bless you. you. may be seated. I would like to speak to you for a few minutes on the subject of the scarlet thread. The scarlet thread. So not only did the Lord consider Rahab's story important enough to include in the 39 books of the Old Testament, he inspired the writer of Hebrews to include her in a very unique and small fraternity of men and women who overcame and who endured through their faith. You want to know how to overcome? It's through your faith. Hebrews 11.31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So there are two messages basically that we're going to call from this story of Rahab and these two spies. There are many messages uh, in this story as there are in any story that's within the Bible, but we're going to present to you two stories are messages that emerge, and uh, hopefully we'll do that within the next hour and a half. I mean, next 45 minutes. You hope that I'm jesting, and so do I. <laughs> First, a brief note about the historical setting of this story, because I'm sure not everyone here is privy to that, or it may not be familiar to everyone. But when the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River and finally entered into Canaan, Jericho was the first city that they would encounter as they embarked upon their conquest of Canaan. The city of Jericho was well fortified, probably would not have been their best choice to be the first city that they came upon because Jericho had walls that were very high, very thick around the city. And because the city was in the path of this massive army, that had just crossed over the Jordan River, uh, the city was shut up. All the gates were closed and barred. There was no way in or out of the city because of this massive army that was approaching them. On the first day of the Israelite invasion of Jericho, no one shouted the customary battle cry. There was not one arrow that was shot from an Israelite bow, nor did any soldier unsheath his sword or raise his spear. According to the explicit instructions of the Lord, seven priests, seven Levitical priests, bearing or carrying seven trumpets of ram's horns were to go before the Ark of the Covenant, and they were to walk in front of the Ark of the Covenant blowing these ram's horns. The armed men, the Bible says, and I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to this story or not. If you've read it, you need to go back and read it again because it says the armed men went in formation, marched in formation in front of the seven priests who were in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and the rear ward or the rear guard marched in formation after or behind the Ark of the Covenant. Based on the census, if you go to the book of Numbers and take a census of, of the fighting and able men that were 20 years old and over, it's the best estimate that we can uh, come to as far as how many soldiers would have been marching around the city of Jericho. But in the book of Numbers, they total a little over 600,000 mighty men 
they were able to go to war. I want you to think about this. 600,000 men are walking around the city. Best estimates that I've been able to gather, there were probably only three or 4,000 people inside of the walls of Jericho. And outside the walls of the city, there are 600,000 men. One of the things I liked best about basic training was when this, we would go marching because I just loved it when all those, those heels came down on the pavement at the same time. It was a rhythm. I loved the, the countenance and, and the beat that was when men marched as they were called in cadence by our drill sergeants. And so the procession uh, was ordered of the Lord. They were to walk around the entire circumference of the city uh, and then they were to go back to the camp, walk around the city one time. After they would walk around the city, they would go back to the camp, and everyone inside of the city scratching their heads, what is going on? We expected them to attack, but they didn't attack. At the end of each day, and they would do this now for six days, they would retire again back to the camp. And the next morning as the sun rose, there would, they would be again, and they would walk around the city one more time time. But on the seventh day, they were to walk around the city seven complete times, and on the seventh revolution, they were given a signal, and at the given signal, they were to let out a blood-curdling shout, at which time God would do what God does, and the walls of Jericho would fall down flat. Further instruction from the Lord is found in Joshua 6, verses 16 through 19. It came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Now let me tell you right now, I'm going to pause for a minute, because sometimes we don't shout until the victory is won. But there are times that you need to shout before you see God do one single thing. Because faith tells you he's getting ready to move. Faith says God's getting ready to show up. So I might as well shout now. Before I see the blessing, or before I see the miracle, or before I see the revival, or before I see the breakthrough. There's a shout among God's people today because there's faith in this room. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got faith, there's no way you can keep your mouth shut. Woo! And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all that are with her in her house. The word of God is very specific because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. I want you to note here for just a moment that in these final instructions that were given to the men of Israel, 
before they would enter the city of Jericho, God made it very, very clear to them, only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. He called her name. Come on. God called her name before the city was ever invaded and gave a commandment to this mighty army. Only Rahab is to live, she and all that are with her in her house. As it turns out, Rahab entered the story when the two men that were sent by Joshua came into the city as scouts and they entered into her house to reside under Rahab's roof. When they were on this reconnaissance mission, they took up residence in a harlot's house. Explain that to your wives when you get home. Now, we may question that wisdom, as our wives would question that wisdom. But as it turns out, Rahab's house was also the local inn. It was the local uh, Motel 6, if you please. And so anyone that came into the city that would stay in an inn, it would have been in Rahab's house. So when the king hears that there are two spies that have entered our city, he then naturally went knocking on Rahab's door because that's where anyone would reside during a temporary stay in the city. But in spite of the risk that Rahab was taking, she hid these men on her roof. Now, I know there's a lot more to the story than all of this, but we don't have time to do details. She hides these men on her roof, and she acknowledges to the king, yes, king, yes, your highness, these two men were here. They did stay here for a couple days or a couple nights, but she claimed that they had already left her residence and, of course, had already departed from the city. So she took a great risk, which is what faith will cause you to do if you're going to trust God. Faith is taking a risk. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, as the words are coming out of his mouth, he is thinking to himself, what am I saying? If it's you walking on water, bid us to come unto thee. Well, come on, Peter. Sometimes you'll pray and God's going to say, come on, brother. Come on, sister. And that's when you start saying, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know that he was going to invite me out into such a risky opportunity or a risky event. Faith will require risk. That's why some people will not, will not step out by faith because it's too much of a risk. It takes them out of their comfort zone and out of the place of safety and where things are stable and familiar. Faith takes a risk. I shared with a couple of you uh, in the last day or so that Brother Hopper, pastor of the church in Branson, they're in a building program the worst possible time you could be in a building program is with the logistics issues, the shortage of material, shortage of labor. And so it has been drawn on and on and on. He called me the other day and said, Bishop, we need you to pray. We're uh, out of money, and we need $57,000 right now to pay contractors and material. Pressure. Well, what are you doing out there, 
Brother Hopper, what, what, what are you doing with your church out there in the middle of nowhere during all of this? Faith requires a risk. It's risky business to get out of the boat of safety and to trust God to go forward and to venture into the promises of God. So while the king went out searching for the men, sent the men out all over the countryside looking for these two spies, they were hidden on her roof, and, and uh, she said the following thing to them. She said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. She didn't say, I think it's very possible. No, she said, I know. Now, we're talking faith now. Faith knows. Faith knows things. I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, she said, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and in earth beneath. So the people of Jericho believed the stories that they heard about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, about their passage through the wilderness, about their exploits, and about their God. And now they're afraid this great wall we have built is not going to be sufficient to protect us and keep them out of our city. Rahab believed as well, but she made the decision to place her faith in something else. Something other than just what they had heard about the Israelites. She believed that if she helped these two spies, that the God of Israel would have mercy on her and save her from certain death. She believed that. Now that must have touched God because God wrote about her in the Bible. She had faith. She believed, if I will, if I will do this, God will do this. The Bible says that she let these men down by a cord through the window for her house was on the town wall. That's always amazed me because when God brought down the walls of Jericho, he set her house down very gently. She must have been at the top of the wall because she hid them on the roof. So Joshua 2.18 says this. The spy said to her, Behold, when we come into the land, Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. Thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. This is where we come to the first message that emerges out of Rahab's story. We've all heard, or perhaps most of us have heard, about the scarlet line or the scarlet thread that hung from Rahab's window, but there may be something about that scarlet thread that maybe you haven't noticed before. I want you to note the exact words that were spoken to Rahab by these men. They said, thou shalt bind this scarlet 
line of thread in thy window. They did not tell her, go out and find a scarlet cord or a scarlet rope. Go out and find the scarlet thread or the scarlet coloring, dye, and dye yourself a rope. They said, we've got the line right here. We've got the scarlet thread right here. And we want you to not find any scarlet thread, but find this scarlet line of thread in your window. It's a very specific scarlet line or scarlet thread that they were to bind or to hang in her window. The line or cord in question was spun of threads that were dyed with cochineal, which is a deep and bright scarlet color. To the casual observer, uh, you probably think that, well, they were to hang the scarlet thread there so that the army could tell, oh, oh don't touch that family, don't touch that woman. It leads into that window, and we've been, uh, we've been commanded by God to not harm them whatsoever, but I believe there's much more to the reason behind why they were to hang or bind this scarlet thread in their window. As you know, the scarlet color bore great spiritual and prophetic significance. The significance of the scarlet color would also explain why these two men would have a scarlet line in their possession or why uh, they would take this into enemy territory. Why they would have this on them when they went on this potentially very dangerous mission. The color scarlet is found throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus. It pertains to the tabernacle, to its furnishings, to the priesthood, and also to many of the Levitical rites. To name just a few, the color scarlet is found in the curtains that lined the walls of the tabernacle. It's found in the veil that separated the holiest of holies from the holy place. It's found in the high priest's garments, even in the ephod, and in many other places within the tabernacle. Although unknown to these two spies or anyone else at that time, scarlet was also prophetically significant uh, as a representative or a type of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's very significant. Carrying the scarlet thread, therefore, into Jericho was equivalent to you and I pleading the blood. And I want you to know something. I pled the blood this morning over everything, over everybody, over everyone that walked in our door. It was their equivalent to pleading the blood. And I've got to believe because of its prophetic significance, it had power from God in that scarlet thread. That scarlet thread was symbolic of the covenant that Israel had with God. And it represented their ultimate trust in that God, their God, to bring them through this dangerous mission. And now by hanging this scarlet thread in her window, this Gentile harlot, this Gentile harlot was placing herself and her family under that same covenant. I'm afraid that some of the people, maybe a lot of the people we baptize think that it's some religious rite. Uh-uh. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you're buried with him in baptism. It's not an outward sign of an inward work. It's not some, some uh, ecclesiastical ceremony you have to do to join the church because you can't join the church anyway. You've got to be born again into the kingdom of God. 
It's important to take on the name of Jesus in the waters of baptism. But if you'll pardon the pun, there was a common thread that protects the apost- or connects the apostolic church to this story. You're scratching your head. Well, what would be that common thread, Bishop? We all live in a world that is, uh, or whose destiny is similar to that of the city of Jericho. We live in a world that is on the cusp of seven years of tribulation. We live in a world that the Bible predicts at the beginning of that period of time, one-third of the world's population will die in a war, and that will be followed by pestilence and disease and so many things that is frightening for us to even talk about or mention here today. We live in a world that's just like Jericho. It has a destiny to be destroyed in the very near future. And just like these two spies who are in covenant with the one true God, we are in covenant with God. Marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. We are in covenant with God. While we're not in possession of a literal or of a tangible scarlet line or scarlet thread. We don't do anything, and we don't go anywhere without pleading and covering our families with the blood of Jesus Christ. Mom and dad, plead the blood over your children before you send them out the door to go to school. So when you go into the grocery store, You go into Home Depot, you walk into Lowe's, you walk into the shopping mall, you do not have a scarlet thread in your hand, but you are covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, you're covered by the blood of that covenant. Everything you do, everybody you meet, you are covered by the blood of this covenant. Woo! Sometimes I know you feel things out there. It's a little bit scary. You you feel the the presence of uncleanness and ungodliness of people with profanity and and foul hearts and, and foul lips. I'm telling you, when you're covered by the blood, you can go through it. When you're covered by the blood, you can pass through it, and it will not harm you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18.21, for as much as ye know, remember she knew, that ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You want to know why he's here? He's here for you. You want to know why his presence is here? It's here for you. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead 
and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Faith and hope. Rahab, that's what this scarlet thread means to us. And we're going to give it to you. And it's going to mean the same thing to you. Rahab's faith and hope was not in the two men that she hid on her roof and let down to the ground outside of her window. Her faith and hope was not in the men that promised her that she would be saved, but it was in their God. It was in the God of Israel. It was in the God that they served. God was her true lifeline to salvation. Mark 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to believe anything or go anywhere. If you don't believe, you're already damned, the Bible says. The only way you can be saved is to get in the waters of baptism after you've repented of your sins. We'll cross over that territory again in a few minutes. So we don't have a scarlet thread. Something more powerful than a tract or even an invitation is your testimony. What God has done in your life. What God has done for you. Even though we don't have a scarlet thread, we can tell them about the crimson stream of blood that flowed from Calvary. When the lame man at the gate beautiful asked for alms, Peter didn't have any money to give him, but he gave him something much better than a coin. But note his words, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. So I can't be a witness. From God, you're right. But if he's given you anything, if he's done anything in your life, tell him, I may not have the answer you're looking for, but such as I have, I'm going to give unto thee. And then we're going to pass on the truth of the crimson blood of Jesus Christ. The story of Rahab refers to both a scarlet thread and a scarlet line. The Hebrew word for thread is H-U-T or hut. And it is a masculine noun uh, referring to a thread, a cord, a ribbon, or a string. It was a light, fine, string-like material placed together, you know how, you know, three-four cord is difficult to break. It was different fine threads that were wound or broader cord, which was used in the weaving of material, and it was used throughout the uh, tapestries of the tabernacle. But the Hebrew word for line is different because, see, they said, uh, take this scarlet line of thread, there's a reason why they didn't just say the scarlet line or they didn't just say the scarlet thread. And here's the reason, because the Hebrew word for line is tigwa. And it's more specific in that it is a feminine noun referring to a cord, a line, made of bright red with a tinge of orange. But the reason 
that the author of the book of Joshua and the reason why these two spies mention both the line and the cord is because tigwa is also used in the Hebrew language to denote hope and expectation. When there's no literal line or tangible line, the Hebrew word tigma, tigwa, is used to indicate there's hope and there's expectation in God. It refers to an attitude of anticipation with expectation that something good is about to happen. Now I want you to think just for a moment with uh, uh, the things that are facing you right now. You can go into the storm with doubt and unbelief or you can go into the storm with tigwa, with some hope and some expectation. You know who the most honest man in the Bible was? The most honest man in the Bible was the man that uh, the disciples tried to cast the devil out of his son while Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter uh, and John and, and, and Andrew. And, and when Jesus comes down, he sees the problem that's going on, and he says to the man, do you believe? And the, here's the honesty of the man. Yes, Lord, I believe. Help thou, Lord, my unbelief. You see, even in our faith, there's a but. Even in our greatest faith, there's a but. We need to acknowledge what's on the other side of the but, but there's a, there's a tinge of doubt. What if God don't do it? What if God doesn't heal? What if God doesn't deliver? What if God doesn't come through for me? And sometimes his will is for us to just go through hell and come out the other side washed and cleansed and stronger than when we went through. Yes, Lord, I believe. You know, I've been telling God lately, Lord, I believe, but I'm human. I'm flesh. My flesh didn't always agree with. So when the spies instructed Rahab to tie a scarlet thread into her window, it was their promise to her. It was their pledge to her that she and her family would be saved. When she obeyed, what they told her to do, when she obeyed the conditions of the promise, what it did for her and her family is it gave them hope in a hopeless situation. What she did not know was that the scarlet line of thread was a prophetic representation of the blood of a spotless lamb that would bring hope to countless generations over thousands of years. But this is important, and I want you to get this. This is really a big deal to me. Rahab was not a well-respected citizen of Jericho. She was a woman of ill repute. She was a harlot. Not only was she a harlot, she was a Gentile harlot, and she lived in a city that had sovereignly been committed to destruction by God Almighty. She is in the direct line of fire. And she has no personal characteristics or attributes whereby she can plead with God for mercy. She is a Gentile, number one. 
Number two, she is a, is a harlot. Have you ever wondered why the Word of God seems to overtly emphasize that Rahab was a harlot? Have you wondered that? It seems like you're kind of the hush-hush about this. She's a prostitute, for crying out loud. It seems like we kind of keep this kind of under the covers a little bit. It's not that big a deal to bring out. So why does the Bible overtly say she was a harlot? Because it tells us, don't matter what we've done, don't matter where we've been, don't matter what's been done to us, don't matter how we've been hurt, don't matter what we said, no matter where we came from, there's mercy from God for us. And if I recall, Jesus said, him who is forgiven much, loveth much. You want to know who, who the most boisterous and loud worshipers are? It is those who God plucked out of the pits of hell from a lifestyle of sin and ill repute. It sends a message. Every time the devil makes you feel unworthy, say, hey, devil, I want to talk to you about Rahab. I want to bring up Rahab to you. Look what God did for her. So if Rahab, the harlot, can be saved by the mere representation of the blood of Jesus Christ, think of what the actual blood of the Lamb can do in your life. See, this is the second message in the story. I've always loved this verse. Isaiah 1 and 8. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Sin places a stain upon the human soul in garment. But God said, let's talk about this. There's nothing that can remove that stain except for one thing. It is my blood. My blood is crimson. When you put my blood over those crimson stains of sin, it makes them white as snow so that they cannot and will not ever be able to be used against you in judgment. Praise God. Praise God. The blood. I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary, and I can still hear Merle Ewing as he used to sing that song. If you're hearing this for the first time or the 20th time or the 1,000th time, matters not the message will always be the same. When you repent of your sins, the blood of Jesus is applied to your life. When you're baptized in water by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ, that blood, the blood of Jesus, is applied to your life. 
When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues, the blood of Jesus is applied <clears throat> excuse me, to your life. And what used to be scarlet and red, what used to stain and mark and blemish your image in the sight of God now is pure white. It's pure white. My Lord, we're not preaching some some uh, positive thinking message here where you can think yourself right or think yourself moral or think yourself straight. It takes God to change an individual, to transform wickedness into godliness. It takes God to do that. Worship team, would you join me on the platform? So if a scarlet thread can save a Gentile prostitute, the blood of Jesus can save you. Before he was crucified, Jesus pronounced the total destruction of the city of Jerusalem, not unlike the destruction that had been pronounced for the city of Jericho centuries before. Um, my perception of it is that he said a lot of things that went over everybody's head. And this was one of those things. Uh, he had told the disciples he's going to die, be buried, and raise again the third day, and it totally went over their head. I wonder how much that we hear from the Spirit of God and the Word of God that likewise just goes right over our head because of our preconceived ideas about life and our future and tomorrow, about God and everything else. If the disciples heard it from his own mouth, and didn't get it. How much are we really getting when the word of God is preached from just an ordinary man? But in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus said something else that is of tremendous importance. From verse 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. Think about this now. All the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. Now, those people did not personally slew Zechariah. It was their ancestors. Their fathers had done that. But now he's looking at people. And he's telling them that all the blood that was shed from righteous Abel under the blood that was shed uh, by Zechariah is going to come on, on this generation. This generation is going to be held responsible for all of that death, all of that, that murder, all of the blood that was shed. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. They should have fallen on their face right then and there, prostrated themselves before God right there, but what's it doing? The Bible says in another of the Gospels that Jesus wept, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says, as he wept, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often 
But I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. And then the hammer fell. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. In other words, in our modern day vernacular, this is going to happen and nothing is going to stop it. Jesus said in Luke 19, 43 and 44, For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus prophetically pronounced judgment upon the children of Israel and upon the city of Jerusalem. As he prepared to enter into the city a week before Passover, the city of Jerusalem, which would be the last time he would enter the city before his death, he instructed two of his disciples to go to a certain village and retrieve a, an ass and a colt that were tied uh, at the same post and to bring them together to where Jesus was. Bring them to me, he said. It's written in Matthew 21 and verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt to the, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitudes went before and that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now even though... They did not hear nor believe his pronouncement of judgment upon that generation and upon the city of Jerusalem and upon the nation of Israel. They cried still and all, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. The Hebrew word for Hosanna is Hosanna. It's the same word. And it means save now, help now, or save, we pray thee. Hear me today. They are crying out to Messiah to save them, and yet they don't even know what they need to be saved from. The multitudes are singing this chorus of Hosanna, save us, save me, help now, Lord, and they don't even know why they're crying out to be saved. I think so many of us come to this altar 
and we pray unto God crying out, save me from my problem. Save me from my predicament. Save me from my situation. Save me from this and that. When you ought to be saying, God, save me from myself. stand with me less than 40 years Titus the great Roman general that lay siege on the city of Jerusalem historical account of that time pregnant women were ripped open their bellies ripped open their babies taken out of their wombs the old were massacred the young were massacred Before they even entered the city, the city had been shut up and people were cannibalizing one another. It was just a horrible thing. He did march in and destroy the city and the children of Israel have been dispersed until this present day. And I always think about it when I pray the Lord's Prayer, which is every day. I use it as an outline. Thy kingdom come. There's nothing that's going to stop Israel being saved no matter what anybody does if the entire body of Christ backslid today God's still going to come down on a white stallion he's still going to save Israel from the armies of the world you might as well just get right with God you might as well just ask God to forgive you of all your sins you might as well just just you might as well just do it so what about my situation come on it's going to be what it's going to be But if you can be different in that situation, look what God now can do through you. God wants to do something incredible in your life. Save us, son of David. If you want to know the truth, we all have a, a certain amount of anxiety over the uh, cultural transition that's taking place in our country. Trust me, it is, has nothing to do with politics. It's a cultural shift, and there's not enough honest and brave Republicans that can stop it. So while we have a certain amount of anxiety, let's just be honest with God and honest with one another. It's very disturbing, and we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know what we're going to have to go through or endure before the coming of the Lord takes place to rapture out of here. So why don't we just get honest with God and say, Son of David, save us! Give us the power, the strength, the audacity, the faith to go through whatever's coming. So I don't think they understood the full context of what they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest, but we do. They didn't, they didn't understand it, but we do. They didn't fully grasp the concept, but we grasp it. We're fully aware of where we are right now in the scope of God's prophetic word, and we need to be praying, God, save us, save our family, save our children, save our city.
simply cannot go through whatever is in our future without the grace of God. We're just not going to be able to do it. I'm going to open the altar, but before I do, Brother Morgan was praying. Uh, I think he said he was praying at the church, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Are you willing to die for me? Here's where honesty comes in. Most of us, including myself, would probably say, Well, yeah, Lord, yeah. Brother Morgan says, The Lord said, don't worry about it. If that day comes, I'll give you the grace you need on that day. The grace you have today may not be that amount of grace, but if that ever comes, I'll give you the grace. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Oh, I feel God speaking to you and reasoning with you right now, trying to get you to come and open your heart and your soul and truly cry out to God so that he can cover you with his blood. My Lord, would you come? Come on, would you come? So I can do it from right here. No, you can't. Seeing there's a cop out. Seeing back there's a cop out. You need the mercy of God. And we're pleading the blood over you right now. We're pleading the covering of his blood over you right now. Over everyone that comes, everyone that bows, everyone that prostrates themselves, everyone that cries out to God. There's so many children lost, so many family members outside of the safety of the kingdom of God. No weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't The God I serve knows only how to triumph. Come on, let's not leave here until we're right with God. Come on, let's get right with God. Whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, let's get right with God. Come on, let Him wash us and cleanse us. Let Him sanctify us. Let Him renew us in the Spirit. Let Him fill us with the Holy Ghost. When the darkness falls, Come on, it's time to get right. It's time to get serious with God. It's time to stop holding back and trying to get in this thing. One foot at a time, it's time to dive in. Come on, it's all or nothing. It's everything or it's nothing.
I hate the devil. I hate the devil. I want to be a thorn in his side. I want the prayers of the intercessors to trouble him every day that he exists. I hate the devil. How do you know the voice of God from the voice of the devil? You want to know? When you read the Word every single day, if a voice from anywhere is not the same voice you're reading in the Word of God, it's not God. You come to know the voice of God by getting in His Word. The Word. I was praying one day in home missions. I was praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, I was having a time of my life. Ooh, I was in another realm. The boy spoke to me. We had a high priestess at his own coven nearby. And a boy spoke to me and said, go knock on his door. When I stopped, I raised up. That don't sound like you, God. So if it is you, Speak it to me again, and I'll do it. I don't see it. Don't hear a thing. Every voice is not God's voice. And the way you'll know is because of the word. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. This is not a place to come for a positive thinking seminar. It's not just about feeling better about yourself. It's about being better with God in your life. Amen. Lord bless you today. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Don't forget Friday night, watch night, 730. Let's come preparing for a visitation of God. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.